tell you now, you just don't know what's going to happen. When you come into God's house, I had no idea that God wanted to say that this morning. But we got to listen to his voice and be encouraged. And he shows us, you see, the Bible says, doesn't it, in the Psalms, the Bible tells us that thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And sometimes the promises of God, well, many times the promises of God are that for us, a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. And there are other times where we may receive a prophetic word, an encouragement just like that, where there's light, where there's direction, where, where God speaks to us and awakens faith in our heart for a new season. Amen. And that's just what that was. So let's believe for that. Let's pray for James. Let's pray that God is going to move by his spirit in the way that he wants to and breathe and blow through his life and bring the great blessing and the sound from heaven that God wants us to have in this house. Amen. Amen. I've been talking to you over well, certainly last week about the new season, I believe that the Holy Spirit, the new pastures, that the shepherd, the great shepherd, wants to lead us into as his family. You know, a few weeks ago, I really felt the Holy Spirit quicken me, talking about our lives together as a family, and just very simply saying this, he wanted to awaken excitement again within us. He says, Dave, your future as a family, as a church, is full of smiles. That's really theological, isn't it? Really deep. But he said, Dave, your future is full of smiles. In a world that's filled with despair, in a world that doesn't seem to have any hope or direction, in a world that is reeling from hurt after hurt and pain after pain, God says to his people, your future is full of smiles. And he quickened my attention to the occasions in the Scripture where God talks about joy. He, he, he reminded me of that little phrase in, that little verse in Ecclesiastes, I believe it's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where it talks about the various seasons of life and there are many. Talks there about a time to cry, but it also talks about a time where your mouth is filled with laughter. I wonder the last time that in God you could look at life and laugh with triumph. I wonder when was the last time when you could wake up knowing a sense of joy and purpose and deep fulfillment and security in God. I wonder when was it that you last woke up and said, Lord, I'm excited about this day because you have made it. Lord, I'm excited about this day because I sense the realness of your presence and I, I, I sense that your word is alive within me. And because of that, I know that my path will be a good path and a successful path. You see, God takes no pleasure in us carrying burdens. We know this, don't we? God takes no pleasure 
in us having heavy grief and, and long seasons and periods of depression. Yes, there are times of grief. We're not saying, you know, listen, we've just got to wear this plastic smile and pretend to be happy all the time. Although I do believe that God wants us to be the happiest people in the world. Wouldn't it be great for this church to have the reputation of being the happiest house, the happiest home in Newport, made up of many different types of people, many different ethnicities, many different backgrounds, all ages and stages of life. But the foremost characteristic of our times together and our conversations and fellowships with one another is joy and happiness. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Ghost. Remember those fruits that Paul spoke about? The wonderful attributes of the Christ life in Galatians? He says, the fruits of the Spirit are evident. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Amazing attributes making you victorious, making you strong and enabled to live life and be a wonderful example. But the second most prominent characteristic that should characteristic a Christ follower is joy. Joy, love, joy. We talked about the elements of the kingdom of God last week. Three elements. And, and Paul again had a wonderful understanding of what the kingdom of God is. And essentially when you, when you study what the kingdom of God is throughout scripture, it's this, the rule of God. God's kingdom is God's rule. Now that doesn't mean that the rule of God is God putting you under his thumb or under his foot. No, when God rules, there's wonderful blessing. When, when we rule, there's sadness and pain and hurt and, and we end up in all kinds of places where we don't ultimately want to be. But when God has his gentle rule, when his kingdom is expressed in our lives, Paul said this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, physical things, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you now, the Holy Spirit is not sad. The Holy Spirit doesn't sulk. The Holy Spirit is not on some kind of downer because of the state of the world or the state of the church. The Holy Spirit is full of joy. In fact, the Bible tells us, talking about Jesus, that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellow man. The most prominent feature of Jesus Christ when he walked into any life situation was joy. He could walk into a room where there was somebody fighting for their life. He could walk into a situation where somebody had left this life and they were no longer here. He could walk into a situation and see a multitude of conditions like leprosy and blindness and, and, and even demonic activity that had gripped somebody to the point that they were living in tombs and caves, cutting themselves and ripping their clothes off because they were deranged in their mind. And yet the most prominent feature of Jesus was joy because he knew that he could release 
and relieve people of the ailments that they carried in their lives. He knew that the joy that quickened him and strengthened him and filled him could bring great blessing and freedom. You look at Jesus, it's wonderful to read the Gospels because you see the power of this joy breaking into every life condition. Read the Gospels, it'll give you hope. The Bible says when Jesus healed people and Jesus set people free, it says, this is what it says, they went leaping and dancing and praising God. Well, you would wouldn't you if you were dead and he raised you from the dead if you were blind and for the first time you saw sight and you saw color and you saw picture and feature you would go leaping and dancing and praising God and in their multitudes this was the norm joy deep inside you this is a time a season of your life where your mouth is going to be filled with laughter. The Bible actually talks about when the joy of the Lord comes into reality within our lives. It talks about sorrow and sighing, fleeing. Just imagine that. Sorrow and sighing and grief and depression actually fleeing from you. That's the power of this joy that we're talking about. We looked last week at Isaiah 55 and we saw how this chapter talks about people who were disadvantaged in many ways. They were using all of their resources to try and acquire their, their, their dreams, trying to acquire their hopes. And yet at the end of it all, they were left for thirsty. And God says, come to me. All you who are thirsty. And at the end of it all, he says, you'll go out now with joy. You've been in my presence. You've been with me. You will go out with joy. You will be led forth with peace. The mountains will break forth with singing. The trees of the fields will clap their hands. And he talks about the removal of the thorn. He talks about the removal of the briar all as a result of this joy empowering from his presence. In the Psalms, David said that in his presence there is fullness of joy. The overriding characteristic of God's presence that he wants us to be aware of is not his power, although that is there. It's not his holiness, it's not any of the other attributes and they are many and precious and we reverence them all. But the most prominent characteristic of his presence is joy in its fullness. And we may go into God's presence with our sorrows, but I'm telling you now, those sorrows will quickly be washed away with a fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Romans, we said, Paul talked to the church and he said that he wanted his prayer for them and his hope for them in God was that the God of hope would fill them with all joy and peace. It's real. It's an experience. It's supernatural. It's a portion that God has reserved for his people. Strength comes from joy. 
You know, you can be strong in your personality. You can be strong in various aspects of life because you've honed your skills. And it can be a self-strength. But just because you're strong, it doesn't mean to say that you have joy. But when you have the joy of the Lord, you will be strong. God's strength comes from the joy that we receive from him. And Peter talked. You see, Pete, these men were talking about their experience in Christ. Peter talked to the church about being filled with inexpressible joy, full of glory because of what Jesus has done. Now, again, let me encourage you as a church, as a family, you've got to go after it. Go after it. Ask the Lord for it. Say, Lord, this joy that you've that, that you want to grow in me, this joy that you want to live in me, this joy that is to be a fruit of my life. Let it manifest in all of its fullness, in all of its blessing. Now, as we explore this more, I'm going to read to you today from Psalm 126. And this is a chapter, I referred to it a little last week, but this is a chapter of wonderful joy. It's a chapter where all of the troubles of God's people are no longer remembered. It's a chapter of great triumph. It's a chapter of great victory. It's a chapter where the people of God, in hindsight, see how God intervened, how God did the impossible. You see, he's still the same God today. He is the God of the impossible. He is the God that works miracles. He is the God that works wonders. We serve a living God who split a Red Sea and took his people through and put them on the other side of that great wall and that great hindrance. And he drowned all of their captors. We serve the God that shut the mouths of lions, that quenched the flames, and he's our God. And what he did back there, he's still willing to do today. He said, ask and it shall be given. Ask and it shall be given. Do you know, let me just say this and encourage you. A few months ago, I was on my little bike and... Um, I, I, I don't know why I prayed this, but I needed to pray it. I said, Lord, I need peace. You know, when you're anxious inside and you're worried and concerned, I said, Lord, I need peace. Please give me peace. Five minutes later, I'm carrying on up the little hill that I was going up. And uh, again, I said to the Lord, Lord, I need peace. Give me peace. And do you know what he said to me? He said, Dave, I heard you the first time. He said, it's already been given. The moment that you asked for it, I gave it. Didn't I say, ask and it shall be given? It's been given. Now, Dave, you need to begin to live in the reality of what I have given you the moment that you asked for it. You see, Dave, you're asking for something that I've already, been, that, that I've already given you. And just because you feel that your feelings don't match up to it, 
you think that nothing's happened. No, the moment that you ask, it was imparted. And you know what? It began to change the way that I, th I thought. God is ready to act, ready to give, ready to do what we ask him to do. He really is. Psalm 126, amazed the nations around the Israelites. It astounded them because God did something that nobody else could do. God fulfilled his word in one moment that he declared through Jeremiah on the same day. He, he declared it. God outworked it 70 years later. Let me read to you Psalm 126, just verse 1 for the moment. It says this, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. Just to give you some context and some background into this chapter. People of Israel had been exiled to Babylon for 70 long years. Jeremiah the prophet was on scene and wrote about what he witnessed in his book of Lamentations. The moment that the day, the moment that when the day came when the Babylonian army in their thousands broke through the walls of Jerusalem. Those armies went in, they raped and they pillaged, they killed and murdered children. And the scenes were horrific, unbelievable for the people of God to experience and even imagine. And the entire wall around the city that was the protective element of that great nation was ripped down. No stone was left unturned. The city, in fact, was burned by fire. Thousands upon thousands of the most elite army on the face of the earth at that time entered into the holy city. They even destroyed the temple with fire. They took the precious treasures that God had given his people to symbolize himself among them. They, they took them and they carried them away thousands of miles to Babylon. And then, over the ensuing months, the people were deported in their hundreds of thousands. Can you imagine that? This happened to God's people, God's holy people, Israel. And they went and they traveled and they took their best young men. And the, the, the whole nation was greatly humbled. And the whole nation was eclipsed. By complete darkness and barrenness and absolute confusion, it was seemingly the end of a nation. Israel has been at many endings like that, but God has always brought them through. And this was a time, at such a time, humbled, taken away to a foreign land, their future was no longer in their homeland, the land that God had given to them and sworn to Abraham to do. Their future now lay 
in a land many, many thousands of years, uh, thousands of miles away. And as they were leaving, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah. You can read it in Lamentations. It's an incredible moment in this scene of chaos, in this scene of terrible grief and terrific pain where loved ones had lost their, 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 their family to the sword of the Babylonian soldier. Jeremiah, as he's seeing the whole nation deported to another nation, he says with tears in his eyes because he was known as the weeping prophet. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And he sends them off with the word of the Lord going into a foreign land but cared for by God. And in that moment, Jeremiah, the prophet, begins to prophesy to them. And he outlines in his prophetic word everything that's going to happen in the next 70 years. And he prophesies that they would be there for 70 years and then God would raise up another ruler to release them. Now he did this 70 years before it happened. 70 years to the day, the Babylonian Empire was overthrown by the Persians and a king named Cyrus took his reign in Babylon. This was a godless man. This was a man that didn't care for the people of God or for the purposes of God. But this was a man, even though he was a godless man, knew that he'd been chosen by God and he stood up. And he said, I am here to set God's people, Israel, free, to send them home to their homeland. I'll give them the necessary aid and the necessary documentation to do what they have to do in their hearts. I will give them the material, the finances, and I will restore the treasures of the temple so that they can have their homeland back. Seventy years to the day that Jeremiah prophesied it. It's documented in the Word of God. And this man, Cyrus, sends the captives home and actually tells everybody that God had told him to do it. You can read it in Ezra chapter 1. It's incredible what God can do. It's amazing when we think everything's come to an end. You may be here today. And you may, you may say this story relates to my life. I've been a captive. I've been bound. I've gone through things that are, that are really destructive. I've gone through things in my life. And I can't laugh anymore. The day came for the people of God. Verse 1, Psalm 126, when you brought us back, out of captivity, we were like those who dreamed. What were they saying? We just can't believe this. We just can't believe that you would get involved to this degree. We thought we were estranged from our land forever. We, this is, is this a dream? God's going to work in such a way in areas of our lives that we're just going to say, 
I really didn't think that he would go to this degree. No, he'll go to the nth degree. I really didn't think that, that, that he would do this for me and bring me out so fruitful and so blessed. I thought it was all over. No, he turns every disaster and makes it your destiny. He really does. Just like he did for these people. Do you know, to understand their joy, to understand their laughter, to understand their, their wonderful song that they sang to God, you first under, have to understand their grief and their pain because there was a time in Babylon where the people of God couldn't sing. There was a time in their lives where their mouth wasn't filled with laughter. Psalm 137 verse 1 to verse 4 talks about this. It says, and you may know these words well, but these words are going to be a help to you. These words are going to be a blessing to you today. It pictures a time where the people were by the rivers of Babylon. Right in the, in the most terrific moment of their, of their captivity. It says, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. When they were in Babylon, they had many memories and their minds went back to the time where they lived in Jerusalem. Their minds went back to the time where they could fellowship freely with one another. Their minds must have gone back to, to the wonderful provision and fruitfulness that God had given them as a nation. They had no need because God fulfilled all of their needs. Their minds must have gone back to the times of the music and the, and, and the beauty of God's presence in the temple. And it says, when we remembered Zion, we wept. There on the populars, on the trees, it says. There on the popular trees in Babylon, we hung our harps. For there, our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. The people of God were at a place where they couldn't sing a song. The people of God that were known for their singing. The people of God that were so renowned among the nations of the world for their praising. Come to a point where there was no song left inside them where everything had been removed from them stripped bare and their captors taunted them their captors said come on sing us a song you're renowned for 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 your music show us how you use your instruments and they hung their harps up because they thought it was over they thought it was the end they thought that there would never be a time again where their mouth would be filled with laughter or their heart with singing the people of God reasoned to their captors and they said this, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? That was the state that they were in an awful condition, a hopeless condition. 
an impossible situation. And yet God, in His mercy and in His goodness, stepped into it. He is so good. Jeremiah's words, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It'll reach you where you are. It'll never leave you in the condition of pain and anguish that you find yourself in. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And God had declared a word through Jeremiah that he was going to fulfill. And fulfill it. He did. On their way back home. On their way back home. What a journey. Again, now thousands of miles. Leaving Babylon. Picture it for a moment. Leaving Babylon, leaving a 70-year past of fruitlessness, leaving a 70-year past behind them. There'd been no singing. There'd been no celebration. It was a black picture. Ahead of them was as unsightly as what was behind them. Because they were going home, even though they were free, they were going home to a huge site of rubble and rubbish. There was no stonemasons among them. You read the, the book of Nehemiah and you see how God brought them together under the leadership of that man and the, the, the dereliction that he found when he first visited the walls of the, of the, of the city and that was to... That was what was to be rebuilt first. He went around at night and he saw rubble anywhere and his heart sank and his heart wept. What was ahead of them was as, was as dark as what was behind them, but in the middle of it all. It says their mouths was filled with laughter. And their heart was filled with a song. I think there's a great message in there for us. I think there's a wonderful truth for us to see as God's people. No matter what is behind you, no matter how dark and how black it is, no matter what you've gone through as a person, how hurt you feel, no matter what it looks like in your future, you're stood here and wondering here today, and you're, 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 you're being pulled by these two dimensions, the past and the future, and you're in the present, and God says, I'll fill your mouth with laughter. I'll give you a new song to sing. That's how he deals with, with all of the barrenness of a dark past and how he deals with the unscalable challenges of a great future. He fills your mouth with laughter and your heart with a new song. He's amazing. He's incredible. I think we should give him a huge praise in this place for what he does. Verse 2 of this great psalm. The work of God was so great. The fulfillment of prophecy was so astounding, specific, 
and exact that the nations began to notice. The nations, the attention of nations, not just, you know, the neighbor down the road. Whole nations now begin to notice and begin to comment on this great intervention. See, sometimes God will be very visible. He'll be in a pillar of fire and a cloud like he was in the wilderness. Sometimes he'll be very dramatic and he'll split seas, shut the mouths of lions and, and, and calm storms. And other times he won't be so dramatic. It'll be through the decree of a godless man that brings blessing to God's people and they are on a very physical journey back to a place where they've been removed from. But it'll be evident nonetheless that God's power and God's providence are at work amongst his people. And that's what it was. It wasn't the splitting of a Red Sea this time. It was the deep moving of a godless man called Cyrus that, that suddenly became aware of God's purpose and God's agenda for his people that brought fulfillment to the prophecy that Jeremiah had spoken 70 years before. I'm telling you now, there can be favor. When, when we've got favor with God, there can be favor with man too. Is it man that's opposing you? I'm telling you now, in the hand of God, his heart will melt. Is it, a, is it a city, a nation that's opposing the people of God under the presence of God? Mountains melt like wax. Like wax. And this is why we must never cower down under the threats of fear, under the threats of the pressures of this world. We must set our eyes and our faith and our focus and our trust on the one who lives forevermore, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. I'm telling you now, it's going to be like rain pouring down on your life. The blessing of God. The blessing. It's going to be unimaginable. It's going to pour like rain. And your life is going to be such a beautiful advertisement of the goodness of God, of the blessing of God, of the attributes of God's beautiful nature. You are being conformed. What a privilege. You are being conformed to the very image of God, the image of Christ. We are partakers of the divine nature. You are a partaker of infinite joy. You are a partaker of infinite peace. You are a partaker of the wonder and the healing and the blessing and the abundance of God's life. You're a partaker of the divine nature. You've got everything to be happy about, church. I tell you, you've got nothing to be sad about. You just open the Bible and it's just like a blank book of checks. You can write anything in there. The signature is on every check. You've just got to go in and cash it. Peace, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. You're going to succeed in your job. You're not going to be 
at the bottom. You're going to be at the top. You're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be blessed going in and, and coming out. Your home is going to be blessed. Your basket's never going to be empty. Your fields are going to be full of produce. I'm telling you now, the abundance of God. Why? Because God is good. And when God is good, His people are blessed. And his people are anointed and his people are full. And it brings him great, great pleasure to bless his people. And for his people to be a wonderful light of his goodness. And this is what happened. The Lord has done great things for us. They began to say. The nations were saying it before they were saying it. But suddenly they woke up. Do you know what? We hear the nations around us actually declaring that the Lord has done great things for us. And they start catching up to the fact that God had done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, they began to say. And we are glad. We are glad. Your, your Christ life is not going to be something that you just do on a Sunday. Oh my God, in him you live, in him you move, in him you have your being. It's going to be 27, 24-7 activity, 24-7 involvement, 24-7 wonderful contentment and rest and blessing and joy in the Holy Ghost. Then they say, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Some of your translations will say, as the streams in the Negev. The Negev was the most driest, parched part of land in the south. In that whole region. It was barren. It was dry. And this, this aspect of this particular prayer in their heart was talking about the suddenness of God. How God can suddenly change things. God can suddenly break in to a problem, suddenly break in to an issue, suddenly resolve something that's been ongoing for years and months and bringing no fruit, suddenly interrupt it and intervene and bring great blessing. And he said, Lord, just like springs in the Negev, suddenly work for us. That area would often be dry and barren and completely arid, but then the rains and the storms would come and completely immerse that dry, parched land. And after the rains would come, suddenly there would be like all of the plants and the greenery and the new shoots of life springing up to the point that it was irrecognizable. It would no longer be considered to be an arid, dry, deserted place, but it was seen to be a wonderful place of fruitfulness, life, new beginning. And they said, just like the southern part of the Negev, receives its rains and receives its, its, its water. Let our lives be like that. And do you know what? God did it for them. He made them fruitful. They rebuilt their walls. They erected their temple. 
And again, they were a nation. And their, their, whole, their whole purpose of life. Yes, it took work. Yes, it took time. Yes, it took the, the, the honing of all their skills and the coming together of their lives to do what God wanted them to do. But they finished it. And they did it. And finally, they close this wonderful psalm by saying, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. There's payment for your tears. There's payment for your sorrow. There's payment for your confusion. There's payment for your hurt. There's payment. That payment is not punishment. That payment is joy. You've sown in tears. You've kept following Jesus amidst times that are hard, amidst times that you just can't work it out. Well, I'm a Christian. I, I didn't think I would be going through this in my life. I didn't think that I'd have to face this. And you've kept on and you've kept on. And your faith has been tried by fire. And it's, it's coming out even more purer. There's payment. There's payment for your tears. There's payment for your sorrow. There's payment. Just like Rob told us this morning. Payment. Payment for tears, Rob. Payment for sorrow, Rob. Payment for not giving up, Rob. What's the payment? Not punishment. The payment is joy. My boy's got a, a better job than me. My boy's been promoted. My boy's got more money than me. Payment. Payment. The payment is joy. The payment is happiness. The payment is fulfillment. The payment is the goodness of God crashing in on your life and whereby you, your, your life has a new song. Your life is the very song that you sing. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seeds for sowing. This can be taken in so many ways. As a mom, sowing the seeds of hope and care and love. As a father, as a friend, as a colleague, just bearing precious seeds every day. Maybe discarded by some, but just a word of comfort, a word of encouragement to a colleague that's going through it. Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Have you received God's word this morning? Do you know what? Do you know what? My prayer, and this is the hope for my life, and I'm sure it's the hope for your life. I think we need to really, effort's not the right word, but it's the only word, right? Because God really wants us to rest and receive. A concerted effort. to go after this. We can just, you know, we can just endure life. Life can just be one big endurance. God's not called any one of us to endure anything. Definitely not. It can, it can be one big, in, do you know, how about enjoying life? Oh, you're not allowed, do you know what? How about enjoying life? 
how about not enduring life anymore, but how about enjoying life, enjoying it? I think we need to really go after this, really concentrate on this. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, joy. Watch over every day at those little angles that try to come in, that try to steal that joy, that try to take you on. No, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, joy. And maybe we've been on a road and a path like those, like those many in Babylon that could no longer sing, who had just hung up their instruments that brought pleasure to the heart of the Father and so much music in the home. And among the people of God, they just hang them up. Maybe we've resigned ourselves. You know what? We've just got to live the best we can. And there's no great expectation. Why? Because we get the wind hit out of us. And our expectation goes. And the Bible says that hope deferred makes a heart sick. And our hope, the dream that we have, that we hold, the picture that we want, the aspirations that we start out with get stolen. And the heart becomes sick. We've all, we've all had times like that. All of us. Our heart has been sick. Just like it was for these people in Babylon. But you know what? The antidote to a sick heart. The antidote to grief and sorrow and heaviness. Is joy. And a brand new garment of praise. For the spirit of heaviness has gone from me. I will put on the garment of praise. Joy is our portion. It's our portion, church. And I'm telling you now, the Holy Spirit, throughout this week and months and years ahead of us, we are going to be on a wonderful, joyous roller coaster together. And I'm telling you now, you're going to hear testimonies and stories of people in this house and in this church that God is blessing, and you're just going to fall over with laughter. Because He's the God that does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. And when, I tell you now, when He gets you with that one, there's not much you can say, but just laugh like a child in his presence. Amen. Father, I pray for your people today. Holy Spirit, Lord, I thank you. Every person is special and precious. It doesn't matter if we've been coming here for 20 years or if it's our first day. Oh, God. Every life is so precious to you. Lord, you know our, our pains and our griefs and our sorrows. You know the, the, the things that perplex us and confuse us and the, 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 the weight that we carry and the baggage that we hold. Oh God, I pray we would be like those that returned from captivity our mouths filled with laughter and our hearts with a new song. I pray it over your people. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to make this the happiest place in this city, the happiest place in South Wales 
And Lord, we pray that the nations would see the joy of the Lord being the strength of your people. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on, let's stand. Musicians are going to lead us in song. Let's give Jesus a big, huge shout in this place. He deserves it. We thank you, Jesus.